Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're listening to Giants Croncast, a podcast chronicling the San Francisco Giants, featuring Brian Murphy and Doug Brazzoni, part of FFSN, Fans First Sports Network. It is rare that I am singing at the end of the day because of the Giants, but that's exactly what happened yesterday after the game i was singing i was like should i sing when we record the show no i'm not gonna do that but i was that's how happy the giants made me yesterday i can't believe it yeah it was uh that was a close call because they were very close to making you sing but in a bad way I don't please know what that would be. Die, yeah. Please <laughs> die. Yes, that would have been. Oh, like, I was going to go, please <laughs> let me die. I have nothing left anymore. Yeah. The Giants went two and four on a road trip against the best team in the National League and the number one seed in the wild card. Uh, it it could have gone better, I guess. Two and four, not good. But that really was a gutsy and incredible win in Philadelphia last night. I feel like it might have just barely kept the season from spinning out of control because it got to be honest, it's looking pretty rough <laughs> at this point. Yeah, it, it was not a, a fun road trip leading up to that. And then going into the ninth inning, feeling OK. And then uh, Camilo Duvall just immediately blows the save. No, no muss, no fuss, walks two guys and gives up a three run homer and at that point, you're kind of having Spielborg's vibes. Um, and there's no other way to put it where you're like, oh, the season the season might just end today, emotionally. Uh, like, actually, fun fact about the Spielborg's game, a week later, the Giants were tied with the Rockies for the wildcard lead. Nobody remembers that because emotionally, the season ended in that game for us. Um, and that was that's kind of what you were facing when Duvall just immediately blew that save. But... Uh, Jacob Junis came in, shut down the Phillies for the rest of the inning with the help of his defense. Giants scored three runs in the 10th and and got through it. And it was tense and exciting. And for God's sake, can the Giants just win a game eight to one? <laughs> That's all I want right now. Another note about that Spielborg's game. Today is the 14th anniversary of it. <laughs> not, not lying. Literally to the day. Yeah. So, that was the vibes were real. <laughs> this is the time of the year where that stuff happens, but that's why it's called the dog days of summer, right? This is the point in a lot of baseball seasons where it does start to fall apart for teams. So it's just that time of the year, but man, yes, the, the 2009 comparison, we shouldn't overlook that. We have a lot to talk about this week, but I was like, everyone wants to make the Paul DeYoung uh, Cody Ross comp. Because we're kind of in that weird Philly zone of like, oh, Kyle Harrison, who premiered. A, a lot has happened in a week, okay? <laughs> Kyle Harrison has called up and made his debut. But he he, he uh, debuted against Phillies just like Lincecum did. The Giants, you know, are just getting whatever guys they can get. Paul DeYoung was 
DFA'd by the by the Blue Jays after just four hits and 18 strikeouts and like 44 at bats, um, and or three hits. Cody Ross did what he did in the playoffs. It's not quite the same. So for a moment, if we're following the 2009 line, unless the Giants make the postseason, Paul Dang would more be like Shea Hillenbrand. No, uh, Ryan was, Garko. Ryan yeah. Garko. It would be Ryan Garko as the comp. <laughs> um, so I, I do want to say the Cody Ross comp is weird because Cody Ross is DFA'd by the Marlins in 2010 to save money. Paul DeYoung was DFA'd by the Blue Jays because he was terrible. Yes. It's a it's a pretty big difference. Yeah, and so Ryan Garko is the, the 2009 comp. We love Ryan Garko. Uh, but you know, if we wanna if we wanna be more optimistic, maybe we can slap a 2011 Carlos Beltron comp on him. Uh, the Giants still don't make the playoffs in this scenario, but he does well. <laughs> that that is odd year bullshit. No one wants to talk about odd year bullshit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Giants are 66 and 61. No longer one of the three wild cards, but still in the race, pretty close. And they'll be facing, you know, the teams that are competing for the wild card as well. These are all uh, not what you want. Not as exciting. The Giants had a 12 and 13 July and now they're eight and 12 here in August. So it's it hasn't been a fun couple of months. That's for sure. And of course, we've pointed it out. The worst lineup in baseball for now more than a third of the season even with the eight runs that they scored yesterday. <laughs> but, well, well, you know, that's how bad they've been going. But still, there's that. Despite all that, despite the roughness, the rough and toughness, the Phillies clearly looking better, the Braves clearly looking better, Kyle Harrison debuted, Doug, and the clouds parted. And it was wonderful. I have to say, it's nice to have uh, the hype matchup I feel like I've already said this this year, but for a pitching prospect, a left-hander, left-hander who throws 94 to 97, he certainly did not look like Alex Wood, <laughs> which is what I was imagining. And um, yeah, what any anything you want to highlight from that from that debut? Um, I mean, just his his fastball was really impressive, and you know you know that that's kind of his calling card, but he just kept getting swings and misses on that fastball. He would throw it up there and it, you know, from home, it didn't look like there was a ton of crazy movement on it. Um, I'm, I'm sure there was a little, a little bit, but he was just throwing it hard. I think he has at least a tiny amount of that kind of Jonathan Sanchez deceptive arm delivery that makes it look like it's going a little bit faster than it is to the hitter. But the, he was getting so many swing throughs on the fastball. And if he can just keep doing that forever, then... <laughs> Uh, then I think that's a good plan. You should do that. So just pay no attention to the slurve or the changeup. No, just just the fastball. Yeah. <laughs> uh, left-handed hitters were five for five off of him. Gabe Kepler was sure that's an aberration. It feels like a famous last word <laughs> statement to make. But it, it, yes, the fastball being as effective as it was, definitely very exciting. Uh, the comp I saw because he was through 97 and I think it was Alex Pavlovich, who's like a giant, hasn't uh, thrown 97 uh, since Carlos Rodon. And that he and Kyle Harrison are the only two in the last 11 years to do that, for, or, you know, a starter. And it's like, OK, great. Then I like that comp. If the Giants are getting uh, Carlos Rodon at the beginning of his career, Rodon uh, started it in his age 22 season. Kyle Harrison is 22. I love it. Fantastic. Let's do it. Uh, one thing about his movement on his pitches I think his spin, I love doing it off of one game because it's just very fun to get excited about. His spin rate was exactly the same as Spencer Strider's. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. yeah. So there's that. <laughs> we are hopeful, I would say, as Giants fans, that this is something that's going to work. Maybe not quite Madison Bumgarner out of the gate or anything like that. I mean, we saw that the Giants held him to a strict pitch count of 65 pitches he pitched three and a third innings. I think he'll probably stay on that line through the rest of the year, even if they do make it into the postseason. And he'll basically be three to four innings. They might up his pitch count towards the end, but he's not going to throw six innings, seven innings. I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're going to just deploy him 
sort of in a way that we've seen before in the history of Major League Baseball, where a rookie pitcher comes up and he doesn't necessarily start in the rotation. He starts in the bullpen and he kind of builds out from there. I could see that happening very easily. He just might start, you know, might just start the game and then go three or four innings and and then that's it. But good reason to be excited. The Giants have a, a great threat now at the front of a game. The worst case scenario might be that he's about where Shamanai is right now. Best case scenario might be he's like a solid four or five inning guy who's just striking everybody out. That'd be cool. Yeah, I mean, I would think that the Giants' plan for Harrison is for him to build up his pitch count so he's going five or so innings per start. Um, before he got briefly hurt in the minors this year, he was at, he missed a little less than a month. And his last start before he got hurt, he went five innings. So they had been kind of building him up to that. I would expect with an eye to him being in the majors at the end of the year to keep his arm fresh and try to uh, keep prevent injury. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see him going five, you know, two starts from now, as long as he can, as long as he's having success, I think they're going to kind of let it go. Uh, but, you know, carefully, but it was, it was an exciting start and it's, Nice to have something to look forward to, which the Giants haven't given us a ton of this month. Especially in the starting rotation, because although uh, Alex Cobb was, I would say, great uh, on Wednesday. I mean, after five innings, you know, six inning, he gave up home runs on back to back pitches. It's a bummer that maybe he is now just down to being a, a five inning starter, you know, age, you know, he, Alex Cobb had a, a prolonged injury history up until a couple of years ago. So the idea that he would tire out with innings, more innings pitched as the season goes on makes sense. But if that is what he becomes now, or is can reliably be for at least right now is a five inning guy. Those are some could potentially be some great five innings, but at the beginning of the year, it was like, okay, we've got Webb and Cobb to look forward to in the rotation. And then Scafani was surprising and all that. And now we're kind of down to just Webb. But now Harrison as someone to look forward to in a rotation turn. One little joke darkness that I do have, though, Doug, as I was watching him, because I was just thrilled by the whole start. I had a smile on my face the whole time. I wrote about this in the recap. I also, you know, he went to the same high school as I did. That's really cool that it's peanut butter and chocolate to to my my high school, (laughs) my favorite baseball team together at last. But uh, the. I 100% see a Blake Snell moment in the playoffs with Kyle Harrison. <laughs> I definitely see the Giants pulling him in the sixth inning because of the lineup turnover. <laughs> Just oh, putting I, that out there. <laughs> oh, I see the Giants pulling him in the third inning because of the lineup. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like that. They, and then they'll it'll go terribly. And after game, look, well, that was our game plan going in. So that's what we're going to do. Yep. Like, well, well, why? <laughs> Hey, all you Golden State Warriors fans out there, you got to tune in to the Oakland Warriors podcast, the official dubs podcast of Fans First Sports Network. It's awesome. It's hosted by Patrick Epino and a rotating crew of guests who follow this franchise for decades, just like Doug and I have with the Giants. The show dives deep into all things Warriors, both on the court and off. Will the Dubs be legit contenders this year? Is Steve Kerr actually going to play Jonathan Kaminga enough to have a breakout year? Will the Chris Paul trade be a blessing or a curse? I'm very interested to know that myself. And most importantly, can Steph win another title or maybe two? The show takes an all-encompassing look at the greatest team in the NBA. No hot takes, no agendas, no bluster, and no goofy knee-jerk reactions. Just smart, insightful Warriors talk about the past, present, and future from one of the best in the business. Tune in and subscribe to the People's Podcast, the Oakland Warriors Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, and on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash Oakland Warriors. Let's go! So, yeah, as I was saying, a lot happened in the past week, but (laughs) since maybe it's good that we moved to Thursdays, the drama has definitely picked up. We have a lot lot to discuss here, I guess, because we've already basically covered everything of the week that's worth talking about um, in terms of the games. Two out of three, they lost in Atlanta, two out of three in Philadelphia. Camilo Duvall blowing four straight saves, maybe for a moment we can touch on that. The first three were not totally on him. Totally. And then the fourth one was clearly like, I don't know if he's tired or there's something physically wrong with him, but it felt a lot more on him. I think on the Tuesday game, 
you know, the hip batter, but there was also the intentional walk. And then he did deflect the ball. Is that on him as a pitcher? Or just like he sees the ball, he tries to deflect it. But I don't know. But the the Wednesday game for sure, it was like, okay, something he's doesn't know where the ball is going and he can't throw a slider. And against a team like the Phillies, you absolutely can't show weakness. There's just blood in the water. I guess I'm not understanding how it could be overuse. Uh, in August, August 2nd and 3rd, August 7th, then August 13th, August 20th, August 22nd, and August 23rd. That's been his usage in August. That doesn't read like overuse to me. They didn't at the end. Of, they did at the end of July, three days in a row. That did happen. So I don't know, maybe that had some sort of carryover effect. I don't know. How are you seeing it? I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like overuse to me. Um, like it, pitching him three times in four days is a little, is a little much. I mean, I would say he was good in the, the game in Atlanta. Um, that blown save was because Patrick Bailey threw the ball into left field. Mm-hmm. Um, so that wasn't on him on Duvall at all. Uh, but I mean, otherwise, he has been kind of shaky this month. Uh, and it's been a little bit concerning. So he, uh, I mean, it, the question of is it overuse or not, I don't think so. You know, he came in, he was good uh, on the 20th. He came back on the 22nd and he, was, he wasn't he was great. Um, even if, you know, taking into account the deflection and, you know, maybe if he doesn't deflect that ball, the Giants get out of the game and we don't, we're not talking about it. But I mean, the what happened yesterday in the Wednesday game, that's, that's pretty inexcusable from a closer or from any pitcher who comes in in the ninth with a multi-run lead and then walks the first two guys. You throw the ball down the middle if you have to, to avoid that walk. Like you just, a, a walk there is as bad as a home run. Um, and so that's a little worrying because Duvall, as a major leaguer, hasn't shown those control problems that he had in the minors. Um, so watch, watching that, and it was very unpleasant, by the way. That was not a fun <laughs> inning. Not not a fan, no. Um, did not enjoy it. Zero stars. It, it's one of those things that makes you think, is there some kind of like nagging injury in there that they've been kind of not mentioning? Because that's that's kind of what you see. His velocity, I think, was also down. We haven't seen, I don't think we've seen 100 from him lately. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that could, again, you know, just, you know, it's a long season. You, you'll lose a few miles. But it could be that there's something just a little bit off in his arm. Um, and he, you know, basically the, the bottom line is he doesn't look right. Um, and even if he'd gotten the save on uh, on Tuesday, he still wasn't looking right. He wasn't looking dominant like Camilo Duvall had looked the first few months of the year. So it's something to worry about for sure. Uh, the other big thing that happened was that the Giants made a flurry of moves, as is their want. <laughs> Luis Gonzalez outrighted. Uh, he had not yet been outrighted. The White Sox had designated him for assignment when the Giants claimed him, so he could not refuse the outright. Now he's back in AAA. Uh, Elliot Ramos and Sean Jelly optioned. Mark Matthias to the 60 day IL. I guess he blew out his shoulder, uh, but that was how they were able to get Kyle Harrison on the roster. And then after uh, signing Paul DeYoung to, you know, the major league minimum after he was DFA'd by the Blue Jays and then cleared waivers because no one wanted to pay, you know, basically the AJ Pollock sum left on his contract this year. Uh, He signed for the prorated minimum with the Giants uh, and the Giants DFA'd Johan Camargo in order to make that happen. I forever mean, giant, forever yeah, exactly. giant, Johan Camargo. <laughs> I mean, I'm. Uh, we could probably have a discussion about what's going on with Elliot Ramos, but before we do that, because now as I'm saying, I'm like, yes, let's let's have a, an opinion off here. But so Paul DeYoung now a Giant shortstop. Good reasons behind that, which I'll talk about. We'll talk about after the opinion off, and then finally, Yoshi Susugo and Trenton Brooks were added to the roster. Yoshi Susugo, the Giants. Uh, signed him to a minor league deal. He had uh, a minor league deal with the Rangers at the beginning of the year. And then after it reached the time where he could opt out, he did. And then no team wanted him. So he signed with the Atlantic League and he crushed there. And the Giants just added him this past week. Then they traded with the A's, 
position play or a player for player. They traded a uh, Sean Newcomb left-handed pitcher, 30 years old who they acquired, who they signed to a minor league deal in February. And they traded him to the A's for uh, this Trenton Brooks guy who was a minor league free agent. The A's had signed to the offseason. both left-handers Satsugo and, and uh, Brooks, both of them basically like corner guys, first base outfield DH types with a uh, very close walks and strikeouts. Not a lot of power. Why did the Giants get DeYoung, Satsugo, and Brooks? They were free, effectively. And it's like, this is the best of what's left. You can't make waiver trades in August anymore. So there's no like major league impact players who could even theoretically be available. So they just got the guys that were the best of what they could get. And it was those three guys, just so, it's, so we're clear. But opinion off. Elliot Ramos, is he dead to the organization? Yes. Okay. I went to the game, uh, the the Saturday game where Bruce Bochy came back and they honored the 93 team. That was all that, all cool. I also sat about 10 rows behind the dugout, closest I've ever been to the dugout that I can ever recall. So even with my glasses on, could see everyone's faces very clearly. Elliot Ramos walking back to the dugout, all that stuff. He looked fine to me, but he wasn't making eye contact with Gabe Kapler. He was like putting out his hand and doing the clap when Kapler would reach out and slap his hand and all that stuff. I don't know. It seems like they're very focused on his attitude because looking at the numbers and looking at similar guys, they they keep around and how they talk about them and how they talk about Ramos compared to his numbers. It's an inescapable conclusion to me that there's some friction there that they're like, not worth it. I think that's, that's true. Um, you know, the, the skill set hasn't shown up for almost, I think the way they want it to. And it seems like they're frustrated. It seems like they're kind of done with him. You know, Ramos does strike out a lot. I don't want to make it seem like he's a perfect baseball player, but I think that's what they like about Luis Matos that um, he has that like 11% strikeout rate or 12% strikeout right now. And Ramos is up in the, in the low thirties, which is a big difference. But, you know, Ramos has more raw power. Do they care? I, it, it seems like they might think he's not coachable. Um, and they might be kind of done with him. So I wouldn't be surprised to see the organization move on from Ramos this offseason. And probably, well, possibly Joey Bart, too. That's a whole other conversation. Um, but he's very much the things that Bobby Evans valued in a baseball player, you know? You, you watch him, the, the sound of the ball off the bat. And not, those are not the things that the team now is uh, is looking for. They're looking for kind of the statistical stuff. And it's it's not working out for Ramos. Now, I want to, yeah. And so I want to draft off that. I don't think when I when we talk about friction or personality differences, that that should be construed necessarily as Ramos has a bad attitude. I think there's an entirely there is an entirely narrow because again he's what twenty three. There's an entirely reasonable line of he does not talk the way they they want to hear, which is not the same as he pisses them off. But it's it's like they can't get through to him, or he's not showing, or he or it is like he's not accepting the lessons, but. It didn't, what came off of him was not a guy who seemed like he was thumbing his nose at the team. And obviously I am not an, an aura judge. It seems ridiculous to look at one game and one guy. It could be, he's like nasty in the clubhouse. We might find out quite a, it seems like the Giants clubhouse does have some issues, but they're very good at keeping a tight lid on that. It would seem like a guy like Alex Wood, what he says in public would be a little obnoxious in the clubhouse too. Or what he says out loud, he says inside. And I'm sure that there's a clusters of players that have different feelings. And the whole reason why Gabe Kapler is there is that he's there to manage it all and to be like the Russian nesting doll that contains all these clusters of, you know, the little cliques and families inside the, the clubhouse. Um, and I guess somehow Ramos did not get in to fit in. That seems the the most logical explanation here. Yeah. I mean, the, the clubhouse can be clicky. The thing about, Alex Wood, I think, is a, is a good point. He could also be saying what a lot of players are thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember back in 
2019 when Derek Holland was awful in his second year. Um, he was pretty critical of the organization. And, you know, it's easy to dismiss that from someone who's pitching really badly and doesn't like his role. But there were other players who agreed with him um, a pretty good number. So it's it would not be the first time um, in recent memory that this has happened. And then there's just the weird thing about how stingy the Giants are with giving up on guys like he has options. You know what I mean? Like they're not just going to release him. So it's like they want to see what they can get out of him, but they're going to hold on to him to the offseason. You know what I mean? Like there's just that weird stuff that there's guys that they move to the 60 day instead of just release. It's just like they don't want to give up on a player until they absolutely have to which is like a, it's a form of arbitrage, right? It's just like that extra, are you making every decision as rationally as possible? So instead they're just going to send them down and, and you as a fan are going to wonder why, et cetera. So along those lines, Paul DeYoung, free, a free guy who we've talked about before. He had a great game. What a debut, right? Some have said that's the best in-season debut a giant has ever had which might be true. I, it's it's a good challenge against old guys, our old brains trying to remember what mid-season acquisition had an amazing first game with the team. And I can't... The, what Unfortunately, what immediately comes to mind is I can remember 2003 opening day and Edgardo Alfonso's debut, <laughs> which was awful. But that's how bad it was. So what's there? <laughs> I know that Chris Bryant homered in his first game with the Giants. Okay. But that wasn't as good as this game. Yeah, I can't remember anything this good. So the other part of of Paul DeYoung's hits, the hits were great, no question. And well-timed, fantastic, beautiful job, (laughs) Paul DeYoung. He made two plays on defense I don't think any other shortstop the Giants have had this season would have made. And it's just his timing, his speed, his arm, like it all works. He's... That's the thing you like what we talked about when we've mentioned him before. He is an improvement on the defense the Giants have had at shortstop this year. If you go and look at like baseball info solutions, um, fan graphs, the shortstop position, unfortunately, Brandon Crawford, Casey Schmidt has been a net negative and in, by some measures quite a lot. And Paul DeYoung, by some measures, has been above average, like to a nice degree or exactly average. And as we've talked about with the Giants trying to get their lineup to average, With that pitching staff, average will make them better, much better. (laughs) And so just having an average defender out there, which that's all DeYoung needs to be, uh, and an average bat, which is something he had been before he got to the Blue Jays, that's a significant upgrade for the Giants. It really is. (laughs) Even, Even getting to average defense and slightly below average bat would be great. Like at this point, that would be such a huge upgrade for the team. Um and, you know, he already has twice as many total bases with the Giants as he did with the Blue Jays. So right, right. that works. So, again, with like Satsugo and Brooks and, <coughs> you know, those are both left-handed hitters. That's something they need is some left-handed on-base or power. You know, some line drive guys are just some on-base from the left side. And they needed defense or power from the right. So they got all the stuff they needed from guys that are like discards, cast-offs, because they're like, maybe... That was why they got Sasugo and Brooks before September, because theoretically those guys could be on a playoff roster, which is absurd. But again, if you're the Giants and your whole thing is like, let's make margin moves, that's what you do. You're constantly you're constantly going to the vintage clothing store trying to find a gem in the new arrivals. And that's what that's what they've been doing. And the criti- I think some people criticize this approach. And I actually think that's a it's it's not like a like a valid criticism. It's like a valid feeling that you're sick of seeing guy after guy, like in hopes of you're getting mediocre replacement level average production. I get it. You want stars or excitement or highlights. I guess what I'm here to tell you is the giants are intentionally trying to build a team that's greater than the sum of its parts. Their pitching is so good that if you could get average, you'll just see them win more and they're betting because they know that if you just see your team win more, you'll forgive the lack of star power. I think that's a fair trade-off because wins are wins are why you watch ultimately. <laughs> but they're they're really straining the ultimately part, don't you think? At this point, <laughs> five years into a rebuild. <laughs> um, so I, I would say that 
it's not quite as intentional as that. It's not that they don't want to have stars. It's that if you're optimizing, which is what Farhan's doing, if you're optimizing, then what you're going to do is you're going to get the cheapest guys and, and make them useful. And the cheapest guys aren't going to be stars. So all he has to do is grab the right ones. And there's no real filtering process other than, you know, see, see which one of them stick and which one of them don't. Uh, but if you grab enough of them, you'll find some average players in there and then that's it. Like then you've got your average players and it's not that they're, they're going out of their way to not have stars or even like as a marketing thing, like they're just trying, it's just the way that Farhan's trying to get wins because he doesn't have anything else he can do. Uh, I, I totally agree. Yeah. If, if there is any, I'm not, I guess I'm not trying to point out like the giants are trying to be this way. This is just, these are the circumstances. We can be frustrated as fans. Big stars won't sign with them. And they've yet to develop their own Pete Alonzo or whatever. You know what I mean? And their prospects are coming along and maybe they'll trade for one. Although I kind of doubt that, which maybe that's an off-season discussion. Like I kind of don't imagine the Giants making big prospect for position player moves. I don't know. I just don't. It kind of feels like it's off the beaten path because then you lose your number of solid contributors. Anyway, my point is, until that star comes along and they've had bad luck trying to get one, either develop or sign, no question. This is how it has to be. And if you think about it this way, longtime Giants fans, Farhan is doing the young man, as in like, has had his caffeine, has a pep in his step, is like a, a, an anxious like excited to be here, always working, always making moves kind of guy. He's doing the fidgety version of what Brian Sabian did. That Because this is exactly what Brian Sabian did. He just didn't do it as much, especially in season. But, or, <laughs> but or shamelessly. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. Like the, the Farhan Giants are absolutely shameless about it, which, yeah. you know, it gets them more opportunities. Like maybe they don't get Mikey Stremski if they're not, if they don't just keep doing it, right? Maybe they don't get Lamont Wade Jr. if they don't just keep taking whatever shots they take. Um, but yeah, it's it is just it's the same thing. We have seen this before. We have seen this with Jeff Francoeur, right? We've right. seen this with Bill Hall. We've seen this with Orlando Cabrera. I could keep going on with names of guys where it did not work um, because that's all I do all day is just talk <laughs> about former Giants uh, when it didn't work. But it's it seems like an organizational strategy at this point. Like it's just kind of the culture uh, at at Oracle Park that that's what they're going to do. Yeah, I mean, all this gets helped if they have a Mookie Betts on the team. But guess what? Mookie Betts is like one of the best players of all time. So yeah. <laughs> that's and the Giants for a long time had Barry Bonds, and that papered over a lot of these issues. Um, and then after they had Barry Bonds, they had a core and then uh, a core of really, really good players who were unappreciated. I think to some degree, even in their time, the position players I'm talking about, Uh, but then they'd, they'd hit on a Freddie Sanchez or Marco Scudero, by the way, Brian Sabin definitely would have traded for Paul DeYoung. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He he would have outbid the blue Jays. Yes. (laughs) And you know what? I don't know that that would have necessarily been a mistake because there's definitely a a reason to think that DeYoung would have hit the ground running with the national league team faster than going to the American league first. But um, anyway, Paul DeYoung's a giant. Who knows? This may not work out more than one game, but process wise, it makes sense. It's sound. Doug, what's something you found interesting about the giants this past week? They started hitting a little bit, just a little bit. I'm not saying they're good. All right. No. I don't want to overpraise them, but they they did um, go up against two really good teams. I mean, Atlanta has a phenomenal pitching staff and they, they scored some runs. They didn't just do like three runs a game against them. They, uh, they did zero. They scored zero runs the first game, but then five and then four. And five and four aren't bad. Yes, technically zero, five, and four average out to three runs a game, but um, which is what the Giants have been doing. What they do, <laughs> um, but they, you know, five runs in a game started by I think that was the Max Freed game, um, is pretty. Oh no, that was the sorry, that was the Chirinos game. It was four runs 
It was it was four runs in the max. Well, I mean, I'll 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 plus your Yanni Chirinos start. That's a guy they should have scored five runs off. Of. Yeah, exactly. Probably even more, but at least they yeah. <laughs> and when they scored zero runs, it was against Spencer Strider, who you're like he has a fifty percent chance of shutting down any lineup, even a good one. Yes, like if when he makes a start, it's right. kind of more excusable than it usually is when they're up against literally anyone on the A's. Um, and then against the Phillies, you know, scored four runs and they scored three runs and the rent scored eight runs. And it's, it's nice to see the outburst and you know, that this is a team that is, that could have won the game where they, they scored three runs. Um, you know, we've obviously talked about Duvall plenty already, but they're, they're a little bit better now. It seems like maybe like they only had, they don't have so many games where they're, they're irredeemable. I don't, well, I'm grasping at straws, but I, I do really like straws. I so. want to also plus your point about the Phillies. The Phillies coming into the series and even after the series by wins above replacement have the best pitching staff in baseball, both leagues. And it was almost a full win better than the Mariners, better than the next best team. And they're better than the, the second best team in the National League, the Braves, by almost four wins. So a really good pitching staff. Michael Lorenzen threw a shutout two or a no hitter no two yeah. starts ago, and they basically had no problem against him. I don't know the the Phillies bullpen. They weren't using all their A guys, but and Craig Kimbrell has been really good this season, but he didn't have his stuff, and the Giants were able to take advantage. I like that because within that, it gives us a moment to talk about. This was almost a Wade Meckler cast and how we were going to discuss how mean, how mean we could be to a rookie who looks like that. But I, I got to draft off what you just said, because that game on Wednesday, because this is my interesting, can Wade Meckler and Austin Slater take one game? I'm interested to see if they can build off of one game and turn the next five weeks into something special. Meckler and Slater hustled. They both had two hits. Uh, you could see, you know, Meckler did everything he was going to do. He like, they tried to get him out with off speed stuff. He was on it. He got, you know, he got the hits, played good defense, even though the last out of the game, that was ridiculous. <laughs> they didn't, <laughs> he and Paul DeYoung didn't know who was going to catch the ball. Uh, Austin Slater's catch in center field was, it inspired me. Like I stood up. I couldn't believe it. He had an amazing, there was an amazing camera shot of him walking away, clutching his side saying, Fuck! <laughs> he was in pain. Uh, I loved it. It was great. Uh, I thought Austin Slater had died and we had been watching his ghost this whole time, but you had a great article about him actually, where you were like, this is kind of a Lamont Wade situation where there's some underlying numbers here that show he's not a ghost. And he's actually yeah. hitting the ball kind of hard. And so I don't know. I'm interested to see, can they build off of one game? Because sometimes for athletes that all, all you need to know is to have that little reminder, like, oh, I can do it. And it kind of turns things around. Yeah. I mean, it, I think that's a good point because both of them have been in sort of a similar boat um, this month where not to say they're doing everything right. They're both striking out more than you want to see, but like when they hit the ball, they're hitting the ball reasonably hard they're you know and it's just they're getting no luck and at some point that has to turn around even you know the most like pessimistic giants doomer fan will be like yeah the the laws of regular baseball do apply in that way you know sure the giants might never have a superstar again but their their <laughs> decent players will will hit will get a 300 bat up. like it just it makes sense right and neither yeah. of them is doing that i mean austin slater just had his first two hits of the month yesterday. He has been on the roster all month. He doesn't want you to know that. He does. Hey, that's, that's what Austin Slater doesn't want you to know. I am going to put up a YouTube video about this, but I mean, yeah, to see them start performing again, like, well, to see Slater start performing again and to see Meckler start performing in general, like, uh, like major leaguers would be, would be a big deal. The giants need every hitter they can get. They're both defensively capable, like maybe not superstars, like, you know, no, they're not Kevin Kiermeyer or whatever, but they can both run and catch better than average. It would kind of let the Giants give Jock Peterson some more days off, some more days only at DH, which would be great. Um, 
but you know, they have to keep performing. So, I mean, I think that's a, that's a really good point that they're, they're some of the more interesting players on the roster right now. Uh, anything else you found interesting? Uh, I, you know, I've been excited to watch Ryan Walker. Like I, mm-hmm. he's been good for a while. Like, I don't want to make it seem like this is a new thing, but when he came into the game yesterday to get the the final out, I was a little bit worried. You know, he pitched 30, he threw 30 pitches the day before. He's a reliever. You don't generally like to have guys come in back-to-back days. They've thrown that many pitches. He came in, he looked great. Um, and he's been probably the best, the Giants' best reliever this month, at least in terms of vibes, which is all I ever go by. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, him. Tristan Beck's also been very good. I don't want to you know, minimize that, but like he had a little bumpy spell, but yes, yeah, yes, that bumpy yes, spell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I mean, I think Walker has been the one who's really just come in and been fantastic just about every outing. So, I mean, watching him has been really rewarding. So many acquisitions the giants have made. Ryan Walker acquired a child. <laughs> yeah, he did. Congratulations <laughs> to the new father. He's pitching for his kid now, but yes, you're right. And I think I mentioned this before when, remember when he was shaky in the opener role and I was like, I like him in the back and yeah. And so it's like when he came in, I was like, has he shifted too much of his mindset to opening that now he can't come in and dominate the end? And no, he was fine. Yeah. Uh, and even and he relieves Harrison too, remember? And he looks really sharp in, in that role too, just coming in in the middle and chewing him up. So I need to go back to your Jock Peterson point a tiny bit, or just you mentioned him because I, I declared him dead because he's hitting, you know, nothing. Is, is he like, does he hit better when he's in the left field, uh, when he plays left field, when he plays the field? Has that been the problem? I think we I mean, this bears yeah, further investigation, but now he's going to go back to being TH. <laughs> well, not if, Wil- not if Wilmer Flores keeps hitting. Flores oh, keeps God. hitting. They're going to find a way to keep Peterson in there too. So. so Giants fans, this is why it's so important to have average players because like if Paul DeYoung is average, it's like he might homer and then strike out two or three times or whatever, or maybe he'll get a double or a single or whatever you got to have as many of these guys in there because you've got Wilmer Flores and that's the guy that's going to knock him in. <laughs> you've got to have, you got to put enough average people in the lineup so that the guys who are really hitting well and Wilmer Flores is on obviously the best run of his career. But at this point, you got to like hope that it lasts for as much as these next five weeks as possible. You know what I mean? Like it may not, but that's what you got to bank on at this point. So you just got to hope the other guys around him can, Step up a little bit more. Yeah. By the way, Wilmer Flores this month, uh, 8% walk rate, 4% strikeout rate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, has, he, has 18, he has 18 home runs this season. 10 of them have come since the All-Star break. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other thing I found interesting was uh, Paul DeYoung's numbers against the rest of the teams the Giants will be playing this year. Giants will be facing, the, uh, facing Atlanta at home this weekend. Uh, he has a 757 OPS against them in 78 plate appearances. Then they'll be hosting the Reds. Uh, and he has just a 698 career OPS against them. 18 home runs, though. Yes, 12 of those were at Great American Ballpark. But, you know, having been with the Cardinals, there's a lot of familiarity there. Uh, and then they're going to play the Padres. He's got a 692 OPS against them. Then the Cubs, 706 with 16 home runs. And there's the Rockies in there, 734. D-backs, 548 is his worst showing. Against the Dodgers, though, save them for last on purpose. 884 OPS. So just putting that out there, the Giants have seven more games left against the Dodgers this season. And uh, Paul DeYoung has a good career line against them. And he has homered against all those teams that the Giants are facing. I think that's a good point and that he should keep hitting well against the Dodgers in particular. (laughs) <laughs> Brian, what concerns you about the Giants right now? As great as Paul DeYoung has kind of been against most of these teams, this Brave series kicks off a 13-game stretch. Like, they're going to play 13 games in a row. Three against Atlanta, three against Cincinnati, four in San Diego, and then three in Chicago to face the Cubs. It, just as much as the schedule, the, just the teams they're facing, I think an extended trip like this is concerning me because if Duvall is hurt, You know what I mean? Like there's just, you're going to have the roster expansion, which might help out a little bit, but we're talking about two extra guys. I'm just a little concerned with all the, with that, who they're playing and the stretch of games where they're not going to get an off day. Um, I know that's, that's baseball, but that's what concerns me right now, especially going from Braves into Reds. The Reds are 
you know, the Reds in Oracle Park, that's been a tough matchup. So anyway, what about you, Doug? Uh, so we've already talked about Duvall, uh, so I'm not going to keep harping on him, but Tyler Rogers also not looking great lately. He's had a pretty rough month, and I don't enjoy that. Uh, I like it when he's making hitters look stupid instead of throwing balls. And uh, this month, uh, he has a, not including yesterday, he has a 476 ERA, um, 433 FIP. And it's been pretty well-deserved. Like, you watch you watch him, and he's missing location. Um, he's not getting, you know, he, his game isn't necessarily to get tons of swing throughs, but um, he, he kind of looks off. And... If there's any kind of pitcher who you would think would be a little bit insulated from the dog days, it would be the guy who maxes out at 85 miles an hour. Um, but he's he's going through it right now, and it's making the back of the bullpen pretty iffy. I mean, the fact that Doval and Rogers right now are are scuffling that's that's a big hit. Yeah, uh, I will say this about Rogers: he I don't think he got away with pitches uh, on Wednesday or yesterday. I don't think he did. But I definitely think the Phillies were maybe a little overconfident in facing him because they didn't have long at bats against him. And so he was able to get out of it unscathed. Right. But they had a chance. You know, it's like uh, it was Castellanos and Turner, I think, or, you know, one or the other that he was facing. And, And I think he got him out on one or two pitches, each of them. And it's like, wow, that's that's some impatience there. Um, and that was a little surprising to me. So I don't know that he like got, a, they weren't like bad pitches necessarily, but that was a situation where his reputation actually helped him where it's like this guy, I can hit him, <laughs> you know, uh, and it, it didn't work out. Uh, and then I gotta, I gotta bring up the reds again. Sorry. <laughs> the, the reds are 36 and 27 on the road this season. And they're 38 and 39 all time at Oracle, including five and four in the Zaidi era. I just have this concern of Ellie De La Cruz hitting doubles and triples all over the place. It just feels very plausible. And, uh, and I just feel like it's, it's been almost nightmarish when the red, oh, and that woo lady is going to be back. Oh, the woo lady. We're forgetting about the, so I'm deeply concerned that, NBC Sports, for some reason, knowing about the Woo Lady has not done anything to adjust the audio there. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you are a very fortunate Giants fan. <laughs> and uh, I don't need to tell you who it is because that means you're blissfully unaware. And I wish I was you. <laughs> Enjoy uh, your good fortune. Yes. Friend. Anything else? Uh, yeah, but we don't need to talk about it. <laughs> Just the general, general doom vibes. (laughs) That game yesterday girded me a little bit. Like my confidence is not back, but I'm like, okay, they could have given up. They really could have like Slater could see he sold out to make that catch. And the Phillies did the most important thing or they failed to do the most important thing that you have to do when you make the Giants look bad. You have to finish the job in the moment. If you give them a chance in the extra innings, they have computers that are designed <laughs> to handle the matchups. They, they know what you're going to do, and they have a plan if you go into extra innings. Don't mess with them. So, they, they, you, have, they have the entity on their side. They just don't have the talent. That's so right. don't give them the opportunity to use their advantage. I mean, the, the, Phil- the Phillies had them on the ropes, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah and and they, they didn't finish it. So and that's where, you know, it's like, OK, the Giants are still they can still scheme their way out of this. <laughs> there might be a chance. Um, I did have one other thing, and it's super petty. Maybe it's just for me, but I feel like with that throw uh, that blew the save in the in the Giants win in Atlanta. I think Patrick Bailey took himself out of the gold glove race. Oh, uh, yeah, probably. And he didn't really do anything spectacular defensively uh, in Philadelphia, which is not a sign that he's bad or anything like that. But you basically, because the Braves can't vote for their guy and the Phillies can't vote for their guy and would maybe not want to vote for a, a guy on a team they hate, you know what I mean? Maybe they have that. Maybe the Phillies and the and the Atlanta rivalry is a little over 
blown and like they have some respect, so they'll vote for Murphy. But, you know, if you wanted to give them a reason to vote for, they're going to vote for Will Smith. They're going to vote for uh, Contreras on the Brewers. I don't know. So I just thought Patrick Bailey had an opportunity and I don't think it's going to happen this year. Anyway, that's tough because I want him to just come out of nowhere and win it. That would have been so cool. (laughs) Doug, are you going to write about the Giants this week? I am. Uh, I write about the Giants every Tuesday and Thursday at giantsdug.substack.com. Great content twice a week. Well, if they were reading it, they would know that Austin Slater is going to be fine. They would have known his two hit game was coming. Yeah, exactly. It was just a matter of time. It's something I said very specifically. Uh, Austin Slater will have a two hit game against the Phillies. It was in that article. Don't go back and read it and check. You can just trust me. Uh, uh, I'm at Mc- yeah. McCoveyChronicles.com writing series previews. And I got to say, I'm I'm picking up some stuff. I, I just got I'm just paying attention to the numbers and I'm making like dead on predictions. But I'm like, Craig Kimball's been great, but, you know, he can be gotten to. So maybe there's an opportunity there. You know, just just some things come up in the series previews, some some insights, just looking at numbers and thinking about vibes. Baseball is a lot about vibes. We 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 seem to have forgotten that in the StatCast era, Doug. We just got to remember <laughs> vibes. Vibes it's matter. all about the vibes. <laughs> you know, in the old school, they call it momentum. But <laughs> we're right. but we're young and we're cool. Yep. we're neither of these things. It doesn't matter. So we call it vibes. The Giants don't have Riz to give themselves vibes. They just have numbers. That I'm not. Them. I'm not. I'm not young or cool enough to say Riz, and I'm not going to pretend I am. What was the meme? the The video that came around was, that flummoxed uh, all of us millennials. We millennials. Uh, uh, baby Libby, Gronk, Libby, Libby, Libby rizzed up baby Gronk. <laughs> okay, yeah. so then I was watching Hulu, and then uh, because we have Viori. Viore products close in our house that a commercial for them came up and Livy was the spokesperson. And I'm like, I know who that is. <laughs> She's rizzing up the brand. So. <laughs> I, I read an entire explainer article about that meme just to know what, what they were talking about because I'm old. And it really was just, you could understand it from context clues, but without knowing who the, who they were, it was it was very hard to like lock in. But it's like you could get from context clues what Riz meant. It's like it seems like a good thing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Riz us up on uh Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars if you get a chance. We're a part of Fans First Sports Network as well, at Fans First SN on Twitter, and we're Giants Croncast on Twitter. And I guess we should be asking for questions for like an end of the season mailbag. I think I, I dropped uh, the ball on that, but send us your questions. Give us five stars. If you get a chance, check out giantsdug.substack.com, McCoveyChronicles.com. And until next week, go Giants. <laughs>